Hello. Hi, and welcome to Murder, She Read, the podcast where we read books, give each other dirty looks, and drink copious amounts of wine. I am sitting across from Victoria Campbell. And I am sitting across from the ever-lovely Amanda Fall. Victoria, how are you doing this evening? I'm okay. How are you, Amanda? I'm good. Um, I've realized that we've never told our listeners what our process for this podcast is. We are five deep, and that is the truth. Hi. <laughs> um... Okay, so this is what we do. Victoria, she reads a book. I do my research. We don't talk to each other about it. No, never. If there's an area in my research that feels murky, or if there's a part of the book that feels like it's glossed over... It's usually the latter. We will communicate in pieces to make sure the other has the holes filled. As you know, I love to fill a hole. But... <laughs> She's going to prison. <laughs> Should I take it out? No. No, it's fine. Um... Fuck, I don't, forgot what I was saying. Uh, but so sometimes our back and forth, which is non-existent, um, comes to on the mic. So we find out a lot about Sometimes, you mean every time. Always. Yeah. Um, so it comes to on the mic, so when you guys get a story from us, it's piecemeal for both of us as well. We love a surprise. We do. And this week, we have a very special surprise. Right. So I think this week is going to be a little bit different. Usually we do a pretty good back and forth. I interject where I've got more info. Um, but this book was a little different, right? It was. I chose a book this week that looked like something I wanted to read. And I'm not saying that the other books weren't, but this was a little bit more. <laughs> this was a special? Um, it's more of a memoir by the writer. Um, and she talks about the death of her childhood best friend. Um, and she does a lot of self-exploration along the journey. So it's different than the straight say, crime scene narrative that we've encountered before. Right, because what you'll find is that we're dealing with a serial killer here. Yes. And that's not really what the book tells us. No, the book focuses on the death, as I said, of uh, the writer's childhood best friend. Okay. And so there's not a lot of auxiliary information about the other crimes or even that much about the murderer himself. So let's dive into the book. Yes. And then, once we do that, I will... Go back to the beginning, and uh, we'll see what we missed. Yeah, fill me in. Give me the business. Because yeah, I, I'd love to. I have so much good information, and I'm really excited about this case. All right, well, let's hit it. Um, I will say that the book that I read this week is called The Hot One by Carolyn Mernick. She is an editor at New York Magazine, a senior editor. I think that's right. And as I said earlier, it is a memoir, and so she is unpacking the death of her childhood best friends. And we open this book, we meet Ashley and Carolyn, who are two best friends, Amanda, who exhibit, like, classic girlhood. Okay, what year in their life is this? We're in Jersey in, like, the early 80s. But they're, like, how are they, like, in high school? They're, like... 12. Okay, so they're literally they're childhood best girls, friends, yeah. right? So they're, like, wearing matching outfits to school. Um, well, you and I do that a lot. Well, every day. <laughs> Not to school, but... Um, and they do sleepovers, and they take silly photos, and they do everything together. So, like... Classic yeah, childhood shit. Yeah, your childhood best friend. Um, but ultimately, Carolyn goes to prep school for high school, and Ashley stays in their town in New Jersey, and their friendship kind of dwindles, as it does when you move when you're 12. Uh, after high school graduation, Ashley moves to Los Angeles and Carolyn moves to New York City. And Ashley's in school and Carolyn's working and living in Manhattan and taking a few classes. Um, so again, we get this like nice retrospective of their friendship. But then Ashley comes into New York City in the late 90s to visit Carolyn. Okay. They haven't seen each other in a while. And Carolyn 
describes her as being stunningly beautiful and chic and lovely. Um, But she also has this very judgmental approach to Ashley. Um, She shames her a lot for wearing leggings as pants. Hello, does anyone in this room wear pants? That is my whole existence. (laughs) It's your entire aesthetic. (laughs) I wear jeans once a week because I force myself to. (laughs) Otherwise, leggings 100%. I wrote that down for you. She brought it. I don't wear pants at all, period. But she brought it up twice like leggings as pants. What a fucking problem. Um, so Ashley tells Carolyn about her life in L.A. Uh, she men- mentions, excuse me, that she works as an escort and as an exotic dancer. And Carolyn feels even further from her friends. And after the trip, the two talk sporadically, but they never actually see one another again. Okay. So the next time that Carolyn encounters Ashley is actually in the news, where it's reported that she was stabbed to death in her L.A. apartment. And Carolyn then, as I said, this is a memoir, so it takes more of an introspective turn. Carolyn starts talking about her job in New York City media. Um, And after Ashley's death in 2001, Carolyn kind of got obsessed with finding out what happened to her. Um, So she Googles her a lot. She sets up like a LexisNexis search on her, which I don't think is a thing anymore. I have no idea what that means. It rhymed, so it stuck in my brain. I didn't write it down. Um, But she's mostly met with like the silence of the internet until 2004 when a Google search hit comes up with a slew of articles talking about Ashley's relationship with... Everyone's best friend. Yes, who is it? Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher? Well, how do you say his last I name? I've, I've never idea. been good at it. I never thought I would have to say his name again yet. Let's just go with the Ashton. Ashton. We'll know who we're talking about, right? Yes. Great. Um, so allegedly from this like Google hit, she learns that Ashton had come to Ashley's apartment the night of her murder around 10 p.m. And he had knocked on the front door. No answer. Then he went around back. Also no answer. He looked through the window. He saw red on the carpet, thought that it was spilled red wine. and was like, oh, this girl blew me off. I'm Ashton Kutcher. Of course she did. Goodbye. Um, and then in this, like, interview and in touch, he refers to her as a very special girl. Um, but it's not until 2008 when any more news surfaces about Ashley. And we find out that Ashley's neighbor, um, Michael Garigolo... Michael Gargiulo. Gargiulo. There we go. <laughs> it's a, a tough of- name. It's a good Italian name. Carolyn becomes obsessed, and she decides to do a deep dive. And she's ordering the autopsy report, she's reading everything she can, and she's going to Los Angeles for his original hearing. Wait, I'm sorry. You can just order an autopsy report? So she works in New York City media, right? Oh, okay, okay. So, so you has- and I can't do no, that. No, no, no. Uh, or may I mean, I don't know, but she has lower Let's not try. Yeah. Uh, she's love her credentials anywhere I. Um, but there's something I'd like to say here um, that really rubbed me the whole way as this narrative as a whole, and as we've been talking a lot about this being a book club. Um, so as I said, this operates primarily as a memoir. Um, but the point here, I think, is that for this author to examine Ashley's life and then ultimately her death, that Carolyn also is turning the lens on herself. Okay. Um, but she also, as I said, when I talked about the leggings as pants thing, she has this, like, very negative attitude towards her friend. It's. I mean, it seems like this isn't her friend. This is just a girl that she knew, and she's putting herself in this story. Yeah, she is. She's definitely inserting herself into something that she perhaps shouldn't be. Um, and it, it, like, bummed me out the whole time because so much of what goes on, and I will talk about it, is this woman, Carolyn, going through this trial and going to hearings and talking to Ashley's friends, uh, but it doesn't seem that she is actually 
one of her friends. It seems like she's somebody whom she had a t- tangential connection with. Like, she could have bumped into her in the street. Well, so this is neither then, like, a friendship memoir, nor is it an investigative story. What the fuck is it? I mean, it's a memoir about her life, basically. That's what it turns into really rapidly. And so ah, I think... That seems like some false advertising. Yeah, and so as we'll learn, um, but as I noted very quickly after reading this, this book is called The Hot One. So conversely, Carolyn herself is the smart one. And so there's this fucking dichotomy that's set up from the jump. So when she's looking at Ashley, she's just looking at her as this, like, girl who worked as an exotic dancer and, you know, dated all these famous men. Meanwhile, Carolyn has this bougie-ass job in New York City, and it's really shamey. That seems fucked. Yeah, it's not great. Um, So it started irking me pretty early on. Um, I had texted Amanda originally that I was excited about this book, and then it rapidly fell apart for me. Um, And she's trying to present herself in this really weird way as thoughtful and, like, woke and empathic, and she's not throughout all of it. Um, But anyway, so she gets the toxicology report, or she gets the autopsy report first, and Ashley's toxicology report comes back clean. She's, like, shocked by this. She was like, what a party girl she was. How could she not even have a glass of wine in her system? Because bitch was getting ready for a date. Yes, with a famous person. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Although I would need 36 wines to go out with Ashton Kutcher. That's fair. It was a different time. This was, like, what, 2000, 2001? Yeah, early aughts. He had only been in dude where's my car <laughs> maybe that 70s show i think that started in like 98 99 i don't know i would certainly dude where's all of my substances but um so we get more information from the autopsy report and we learn that she has many defensive wounds that she was stabbed 47 times 12 of which were fatal um her head was nearly severed from her body and her neck was flayed Um, And Carolyn's obsession at this point reaches its peak. She books a flight to Seattle to meet up with a man whom she introduced Ashley to back in New York City. I told you that Ashley had come that time. Visited once, yeah. Yeah. And in that interim, Ashley had had a a fling. She keeps referring to it as a one-night stand uh, with this man. Carolyn was friends with. His name is Oliver. So Carolyn decides, my starting off point of interviewing is to go see this man who had sex with my dead friend. So she flies That's to weird. Seattle. It's super weird. I mean, Ashley was a big dater, as I imagine most people in their early 20s that are single and hot in L.A. are. If you're very hot in Los Angeles, I'd date everyone. Did you know? She also, it, it doesn't say the difference between, like, dated as in, like, dated dated or, like, went on one date. But she also, quote unquote, dated Vin, Vin Diesel. Diesel. I did read that. <laughs> and Jeremy Sisto of Law and Order fame. Which one is he? Not a clue. <laughs> Good, I didn't know either. Don't worry, I Googled his face and was like, I've seen almost every episode of Law and Order. You said you're handsome, but not handsome enough. That's exactly what I said. Um, so Carolyn flies out there to meet this guy, Oliver, whom Ashley had slept with. Um, and the entire exchange really devolves into Carolyn talking about how sexy she herself is now in her 30s and how she realizes that this man whom Ashley slept with is, like, coming on to her at the bar. All of this is irrelevant, Caroline. It is irrelevant. And it just feels like this weird thing where she is trying to just change her identity through looking at her friends. She's the hot one now, is what she's saying. Yeah, it was really fucked. Um, And I just like the idea of, imagine you died and then I tried to fuck your husband. Like, what are you doing? Cool down. I mean, if I die and then your first move is to, like, go visit every guy I've ever fucked, you're going to be busy, but... Like, I'm terrified for you. I'm nervous, too. Everyone's married, also. (laughs) 
Um, but anyway, they don't fuck, but there's like this moment of flirtation that then she moves away from. So um, she feels validated and then moves on. Exactly. Cool. Um, she goes back to New York City. She's like, I didn't get anything from this. What did you expect? Like, go see her sister or go Was see her parents or someone. He's supposed to know something? I guess so, even though they had gotten drunk and had sex the one time. No, he doesn't know shit. Um, anyway, so she goes back to New York City. Um, she learns about the suspect's first preliminary hearing, and she books tickets to Los Angeles um, and this is the first time that she sees Ashley's alleged murderer in the flesh um, and states that he's, like, a totally unremarkable white dude. He's, like, somebody you'd bump into on the street. He looks like he belongs in a Hoobastank cover band. He's terrible. I don't yeah, even know what the real Hoobastank band looks like. Neither do I. But he's got a real bad face. But it's, like, a very early 2000s face. Like, his whole look is very, like, early 2000s bad music. Eyebrow piercing? It belongs there, but I don't think there is one. There's definitely, like, not the soul patch, but, like, the full line. Oh, dirty. Very. Um, so she, as I said, she goes to L.A. for this preliminary hearing, basically. She meets Ashley's friend, and she begins to learn, actually, about Ashley's life in Los Angeles, where she actually had a life versus this, I don't know, false... Conjecturing she was doing? Yes. Quite like, like we do, but we're not writing books about no, it. No, not once. So during the initial part of the preliminary hearing, the defense lawyer is very much trying to paint Ashley as a slut and a drug user, uh, calling into question her partying and her it's alleged... very unfair. Theory. It is very unfair. Ultimately, Ashley's friend Justin takes the stand during this part. Uh, he lived with her at the apartment she was murdered at before he moved in with his boyfriend. Garjula was their maintenance man? Or he did maintenance? He had done maintenance for them, yeah. Okay. But he's a neighbor who, like, comes over mm-hmm. and helps them out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but the author's never really clear about it for me. Don't um, worry. I got that. So, regardless, Justin has always been creeped out by this guy. Um, once he came by to fix their heater, and he somehow weaseled his way into their plans for the night and went to an art gallery opening with them. And Justin took him, took Garjulo home, and while he was driving him home, Garjulo put his hand over Justin's on the gear shift. Uh, Justin is very gay and said that this didn't feel like a sexual move, but rather a power one that really creeped him out. Yeah, that's Um, weird. Yeah, it is a creepy move, and he shuffled him from the car. And later, Justin would say that he saw Garjulo's truck parked outside their home in the middle of the night. Yeah, like 2, 3 in the morning. Yeah, which is not cool. Um, And Justin tells another story, which I hope you have more details on, because shockingly, since they're not about Carolyn in here, it's... uh, not very detailed. Gloss the fuck over? Cool. Yeah. Uh, that Garjula menaced him with a knife. Yeah, I don't have a ton of details on that because it's not really an interesting story, but at some point he got, like, minorly confrontational with Garjula and was like, you're kind of a creep. Like, why are you so obsessed with Ashley? And Garjula, like, lifted his pant leg and showed him a hunting knife that he had strapped to his ankle. In Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Mm. And Justin was like, get the fuck out of my house. I want nothing to do with you, and I want nothing to do with your situation. Like, get out. And, like, just pushed him out the door. Well, those are some red fucking flags. There's a lot of red flags here. Um, so we're still in the uh, the days of this preliminary hearing, preliminary, excuse me, hearing, which isn't even close to over yet. But Carolyn heads back to New York City. She's done. And I have a huge problem with this. Throughout this whole... Uh, book that I was reading, which was like 330 pages. I'm giving you a light gloss. Yeah. She says she's here to bear witness to the atrocity that happened to her friend. But she hasn't given any information. No. And she just gets out of there. So she comes in 
and then she leaves before it's even done. And the uh, the lawyer for um, the prosecution had even warned her that there were going to be some really graphic images displayed in the courtroom of Ashley's body, and that uh, the prosecutor said, like, you should leave during these. I tell friends and family to always leave, and she was like, well, I'm going to stay for them. And then she didn't. She fucking left anyway. Yeah, you leave during that for sure. So then I get a brief glimpse at Gargiulo's other victims, but Amanda has more info on that because literally it's a paragraph for each. Um, and the other thing that Carolyn does here is that she travels to the town in Illinois where Gargiulo grew up. Glenville. Glenville, yeah. Yeah. Um, she goes and stands in front of his house and was expecting to feel something, but feels nothing. It's just a house. Well, because that's nothing to do with her, so. It's true. Uh, she'll be like, let me take you to the steps of my brownstone. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so she walks around the corner to the home of another one of his alleged victims, Trisha Picaccio, whom Amanda definitely has information on, uh, who was murdered on her front steps. Do you want me to get into the DNA, or is that for you? I mean, how much does she deal with that? Like, I two sentences? Go ahead. Once a run-on? Um, so Trisha was found with DNA on her fingernails that matched Gargiulo, um, but it was unclear whether the DNA was on top of her finger- fingernails, excuse me, or under them, making it impossible for the cops to tell if it was from self-defense or simply casual conduct because he was a neighbor and was around a lot. Um, ultimately, 48 Hours aired a segment on Ashley and Trisha's Oh, I watched steps. it. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Gargiulo is interviewed in jail and maintains his innocence. Um, however, a man with whom he worked as a bouncer called the police after seeing the episode and told them that he remembered Gargiulo bragging about killing a girl. And this was enough to finally get charges filed against him in Illinois for his alleged 93 crime. And a tri- trial, excuse me, was scheduled after the completion of the one in California for Ashley's murder. Wow, she did a lot of glossing. Yeah, it's mostly about her. Are you ready for... Actually, it's the next one, so hold, please. Oh, yeah, no, it's here now. Okay, so our girl Carolyn is back in New York. She decides she's just been dumped also. She's going to go to a yoga retreat in the Berkshires. That's a part of this? This signals the end of the book for me. I think there were This like, shouldn't have been in the book. No, it shouldn't have. But she goes to the yoga retreat, and so she finds clarity there. Uh, she's, like, doing bridge pose, bending over. This is all about her. Yeah, the whole book is. So she goes to this yoga retreat... Um, and for me as a reader, I was like, oh, this bitch is about to wrap this up and be like, I found serenity for like 2K a night. Um, so she explores like the idea of closure while she's there and what that would look like for her, whether it's the end of the trial or if it's something else, something more internal. And then she comes back to California one last time. She goes to a spot that everyone told her she should go to, which is a dog park that was behind Ashley's house, where Grosjolo apparently had watched Ashley for so many hours Uh, So she goes to that place, she stands on the hill there, and looks at Ashley's house before turning away. And in this moment, she realizes that she can direct her gaze on what she's looking toward, if it's this, like, horrific thing that had happened to her friend, or if it's, like, the sun rising on the horizon. And it's this, like, very... Namaste moment. Like, namaste the fuck away from me moment, yeah. This feels so cheap. Right? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but it does. Well, yeah, I told you, as I said earlier, I texted you that I was so excited about this book. It's well-written. Um, it was such... So, great writer, bullshit concept. Like... Decent writer, bullshit concept. There we go. Okay. Yeah. And definitely, like, just a lot of, like, 
self-aggrandizing. Yeah, I don't like the idea of using murder for, like, a very self-serving purpose. No, and it was. And I read, I did a light Google after reading it because I had texted you and I was like, I haven't, or I had said I have a new nemesis. It's this woman. Yeah. Carolyn. Um, And then I Googled her and there is a woman who was very good friends with Ashley in Los Angeles who was so disgusted by this book. Um, And a lot of people sounded off about it on the internet who had known Ashley very well in her adult life that it was just trite and contrived and totally self-serving. Yeah, I am like I would be. So let's like flip it and reverse it. You're murdered and instead of it being a story told by me or one of the people that you're still very close with, it's like whoever the fuck you grew up with in New Jersey comes out of the woodworks. I would be fucking livid. I would haunt Who would the it be? Shit what is her them. name? Tell me everything. <laughs> Let's not. And also, like, let me just pick the worst parts of this person's life. She wore leggings as pants. That's all I knew about her. Right. I I'm feel sorry, like it's not a bad part. If you're, like, if it's the same thing and, like, this is happening to me, the girls that would be telling this story, they do not know who I am anymore. No, they don't. And they don't get to say who you are anymore, also. Right, are you ready for, like, the actual story? Yeah, please take me out of this 300-page debacle. Okay. And if I have to have a fight with Carolyn Murnick, I will. Well, you Literally, know, let's schedule that later. Thank you. Go ahead. All right, let me tell you the whole fucking shit. All right, lay it First on. off, I have some nicknames for Michael Gargiulo. Well, I guess not nicknames, more like monikers. Um, Wait, like, after his crimes? He or is before? known as the Chiller Killer. The Hollywood Ripper. I read that. The Boy Next Door Killer. And is also occasionally referred to as Mike the Furnace Man. Ooh. Which is, I think, my absolute favorite. All right, so as we have said before, Michael grew up in Glenville, Illinois, which, as everyone knows, is a suburb 18 miles north of Chicago. Right? You yeah, knew that. I, I knew that. Everyone knows I that. I knew a lot about that. He is mostly remembered by his classmates for his quick temper and his, like, overall awkward demeanor. Just like a weird kid. So angry and awkward the best days? Yeah. That's that's a great combo. Um, He lived a block from the spot where 18-year-old, not Patricia, sorry, Trisha Picaccio was found stabbed on August 14th, 1993. Michael was friends with her younger brother, Doug. He was questioned, as were dozens of other people. Um, There were no leads, and ultimately the case went cold. So... What, do you have something to add? Well, I was going to ask if you have that weird thing about him coming to the Picaccio house. I didn't include it just because it creeped me out too much. Okay. So, in the 48 Hours case, also, I do want to, like, I meant to say this at the very top, I am so grateful for this LA Weekly article. Like, I got so much information from it. It was the only thing on the internet that, like, really deep-dived into every fucking case, Everything else was just like, murder, murder, Ashton Kutcher, murder. Do you know who wrote it? No. There was something really interesting when I was reading that terrible, terrible memoir, um, that when Carolyn was at the trial, or excuse me, at the, um, at the hearing, she was sitting with a, a female author from LA Weekly. Interesting. I will definitely pull it back up. I'll include it in the Instagram post that we make because it, she needs recognition. This was so well written and such like a well-formulated article. Um, where am I? The only evidence was blood and skin found under her fingernails. All of everything I read said under, but we'll get to that. Uh, in 93, this wasn't useful either way. Doesn't matter. 
Uh, Gargiulo follows his brother Ken to L.A., where he's later joined by his girlfriend, Allison. Oh. The couple moved to Orchid Ave behind the Chinese theater. Do you know who else lives behind the Chinese theater, Victoria? No. Um, Ashton Kutcher? No, it's oh. Ashley Ellerin. Oh. So by the fall of 2000, Michael is a full-on scumbag. Like, I mean, obviously he's a murderer, but, like, we're going scumbag too. <laughs> he is living with Allison. He also starts dating a McDonald's cashier that he met in an AOL chat room named Velma. Oh. Yeah. He, I'm sorry. Late 90s? Late 90s. Okay. That is my that great-grandmother's plays. name, by the way. Velma. Velma. Mm-hmm. So it's that. a good throwback. Uh, he tells Velma that he's training as an Olympic boxer. Aren't we all? And that he had studied forensics. That's a lie. That's a very big lie. He also, while living with Allison, was periodically living with Velma. Neither of them knew about each other. I have a question. Were they neighbors? No. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Uh, This is when he starts telling people that he left Chicago because of a murder that he didn't commit. He says that he knows who did it. He also mentions that DNA would be at the scene, but it's only because he was really close with the victim. Ew. By all accounts, he was not close with Trisha at yeah, all. She was just, he was just friends with her brother. Yeah, that's uh-uh. like the a younger brother's pesky friend. Like, they were not friends. Yeah. They were not close in any way. He has a child with Velma. The McDonald's guy. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, he's living with Allison. Again, neither of them know about each other. Oh. He also has another secret girlfriend who's a doctor. How'd, she, how'd he sway a doctor? Fucking Christ, I don't know. Oh. I really wish I had an answer <laughs> for you. And in this time, he meets Ashley Ellerin outside of her house when he's driving by to go to his house, which is right down the street, right. and offers to fix her friend's flat tire. They're like, yeah. I read something that he had slashed those tires. I don't think that's true. Are you saying I read another fiction book? (laughs) It sounds like you read another fiction book. Um, He does keep finding reasons to come over, and he tries to forge a friendship with Allison. Well, no, sorry, with Ashley. He's dating Allison. It's a lot of A's. All her friends are like, fuck you, no thank you. Yeah. And Ashley is like the nicest, most trusting person, and she's like, yeah, of course, why not? He seems harmless. Ignores every red flag. He starts parking outside, as we have talked before. His roommate, or Allison's roommate, Ashley's roommate. You got it. It's a lot of A's. Good God, so many A's. Ashley's roommate confronts him. He says he's laying low. He can't go home. The FBI's looking for him. They're trying to get his DNA for this murder that he didn't commit. And he, like, can't go back to the house. To the house with Allison? Uh Uh-huh. No, this is a lie. It's going to come true, but it's a lie. Okay, okay. So, morning of February 21st, 2001, Ashley and her dad were doing some remodeling and painting at her place. She has plans to meet up with Ashton later that night for drinks. Um, Ashton's going to a Grammys party that she's not invited to. Think of all of the fucking low-rise jeans at that party. So many so many exposed thongs. Oh, so, so many. So many corset tops, I imagine. Yeah, and Christina Aguilar's dirty just bump in in the back. Do you think white blonde hair with black streaks yeah, 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 yeah. are on almost everyone and then there? And what's that piercing you have under your chin? Lebray? That one, that yeah. One. Um, she takes her dad to the airport. Right after that, she calls her landlord, Mark Durbin. His IMDb credits include a minor role in Frasier, and I guess he was on Six Feet Under at oh, some I point. Oh, I thought he was really hot and had a great butt. I'm sure he was. That's also what I heard. I didn't Google him like I should have. <laughs> He says that they have a blossoming relationship 
she calls him over to help move furniture, which seems weird for your landlord, but whatever. Um, he says he comes by around seven. They have sex. He leaves and she calls Ashton to confirm plans. Right. So, okay. Grammys happen. Grammys party happens, whatever. Ashton calls her twice. She doesn't answer. He thinks it's maybe like bad reception. It's what, 2001. That was a thing that was real. And he heads over to her house around 1045 PM. Her lights are on. Her maroon BMW is in the driveway. She does have that. And he's knocking and knocking and knocking. No answer. We already discussed. He peeks in the window, sees what he thinks is red wine, and he thinks that he's just, or she's upset that he's late. So he's like, well, shit, I fucked up. She's blowing me off, and he leaves. And that seems totally legit. Like, yeah. they had only gone out a handful of times. They weren't full-fledged, like, boyfriend-girlfriend. Yeah, there's something that I read in the book that I will take happily, that she, whenever anybody called her Ashton Kutcher's, whatever his name is, uh, girlfriend, mm-hmm. she was like, I'm not that guy's girlfriend. I was, like, very put off Yeah, by they it. were not. Like, yeah. she was openly dating a lot of people. Yeah. She was not tied down to Ashton. But, of course, that's how the media's going to swing it, because you can tie Ashton's name to it, make it a yeah. big thing. and which is all the bullshit that you saw when you tried to Google her name, and everything is Ashton, Ashton, Yes, Ashton. it's insane. Yeah. So, I just glossed over it, because I did figure that that would be one thing that the book has. So, her roommate finds her the next morning. The big giveaways here are that her windows have bars, her doors were locked, and there's no sign of force entry. Right. So, it becomes very obvious to police that, like, she knew... Whoever killed her, yeah. yeah. They rule out, detectives rule out a ton of suspects. They have no DNA evidence. They keep hearing of Mike the Furnace Man in interviews, but no one knows his last name. So detectives learn that Mike, and this, you're going to keep hearing me say Detective Small. He is like the hero of this fucking story. It was in my book too. Briefly? Very kind. Because he's in most of my story from here on out. He's not in the mirror with her, so just like a sidebar. Oh, I get it. So Detective Small learns that Mike had been telling people that he was hit by a cement truck when developers (laughs) were building the Kodak Theater, and he was boasting that he was going to get rich by this lawsuit. Which is a weird flex, right? If you're hit by a cement truck, I reckon you're dead or Bugs Bunny. Well, it turns out that accident didn't take place. Shocking. Right. So this fucking amazing detective searched all of the traffic accidents near the theater and found one where a poor puppy was struck by a car and the owner insisted on filing a police report. Do you want to guess who was driving that vehicle that hit that fucking dog? Who do I think hit a puppy? It's Mike the Furnace. It's Mike just the furnace, the full furnace, <laughs> yeah, not the furnace no, man. No. It's Mike full the furnace. furnace with a head on it. Yeah. An anthropomorphized furnace. <laughs> yes, that is who did it. Uh, we're in like the fall of 2002 here. The detectives show the DMV pick of Mike to Ashley's friends and they're like, yeah, 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 that's the fucking creep. But Detective Small is still open-minded. He doesn't know who her killer is. He just wants to get to the bottom of, like, who the fuck is Mike the Furnace? Thank you. (laughs) Are you ready for some shit? Give it to me. All right, cool. So a few days later, like literally a few days after he finds Mike the Furnace, um, his partner gets a call from Cook County, Illinois, cold case detectives who had taken over the Trisha Picaccio investigation. He was taking DNA from everyone that the original detectives had interviewed, and they were in L.A. to swab for Michael fucking Gargiulo. They were doing that in 01? 
Uh, this is 2002. Whatever, 02? That's some but, good shit. But, like, yeah. right after he gets this hit on fucking Mike and Gargiulo, he gets a call just serendipitously that these other fucking detectives are in town looking for that same fucking guy. Okay, all right. I love this. The story is so good. Like, how is this not in the book? This is so important. Anyway, so he was calling them to seek assistance in tracking down Michael. Holy fucking shit. This seems golden, right? Yes. Right. No, it's so fucked. Why? Uh, We're going to get there. Amanda! Uh, So detectives are comparing the Ashley Ellering case and the Trisha Picaccio case, and they're, like, basically identical. Right. They have the same fucking suspect, right? They track him down. He's living with a new girlfriend. Who else did he get? Fucking come on, ladies. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In December of 2002, they get a blood sample. Michael tries to fight the authorities while they're there. Doesn't go well for him. He tries to physically fight the police? Physically fight the police. Oh. They still get their blood sample. They have guns. Uh-huh. Um, it's the early aughts. It's going to be a long fucking minute before that DNA can be compared. Right, it's coming out today. Uh-huh. In the meantime, oh. February 2003, Michael is hired to fix the AC of Maria Garula. She is the former wife of a famous Mexican singer. She tells detectives that he wears blue fucking surgical shoes, follows her around the house until she agrees to go on a date with him. That doesn't stop her from letting him move in. What? Yeah. <laughs> Maria. Come on. Get your life friend, girl. So they start dating. Who moves in with her and her four fucking children? Do you want to know what happens, though? It goes a little south. What? Well, he punches her and then asks her for a loan. And instead, she's like, how about a restraining order? If I punch you and ask you for a loan right now. Restraining order. Okay. I don't know if it took it in that exact order. That's a little unclear, but, like, definitely both happened. So, September 2003. We're, like, almost a full year after the blood sample was taken. The DNA under Trisha Picaccio's fingernails is a match to Michael. They got their fucking guy. 2003. Great. Right? Fantastic. Yeah, put him away. You want to know what, though? I do. Cook County prosecutors declined to file charges against him, saying that the evidence was not strong enough. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier about the under versus on top. Like, what in the actual fuck? Because he's a fucking neighbor. And he had been at a... Trisha had gone to a party that he was at that night. And everyone No, Trisha was at homecoming. But then they went to a party after. You know I've got the loose facts again. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, like, there's still DNA evidence that is pretty fucking damning. And the Picaccio family is so fucking livid that this is declined. There's, um, her mother is quoted in saying somewhere in the media that, like, obviously the state's attorney, a state's attorney thinks that everyone in Chicago is a fucking idiot because there's no way that a jury would convict for DNA evidence, which I think is pretty fair. That is fair. And I, I mean, since it was something that really hadn't been introduced to, like, public knowledge at that point yeah do you want a great quote from detective smalls he calls this choice a bunch of shenanigans oh detective smalls it's fucking mild but true (laughs) um so this then ties the lapd's hands they can't make an arrest there's no evidence of him at their crime scene right and they can't do anything with the information that isn't being charged in a different jurisdiction Right. right so all they can do is hope that the state's attorney decides to file charges what do you think the state's attorney does? Declines. Well, he retires to teach law. <laughs> Let me tell you, as a teacher. No, His name is Richard A. Devine, if you would like to find him. As of 2010, he was teaching at Loyola University Chicago School of Law. That's a good school. 
don't take his class. <laughs> it's my advice for you. He'll retire. His elected successor also declines to prosecute Gargiulo. So he's just free to do whatever the fuck he wants. I'm sorry, what year was that? This is 2003. Okay. All right, in September, this is, I mean, fucking, he just keep going. By September of 2005, he's living with another girlfriend in El Monte, which is east of L.A. In late November of that year, 32-year-old Maria Bruno moves into a first-floor unit in his building. Okay. From his apartment, he's got a bird's-eye view into her living room and kitchen windows. Okay. She's an El Salvadorian immigrant, mother of four, recently divorced. She's fucking beautiful. Like, she is drop-dead. And she is dating this, I think, Brazilian restaurant manager. Like, she has a new job. Shit's going great for her. And then on December 1st, 10 days after she moves into her new apartment, she is found murdered and mutilated. Officers find a blue surgical booty outside her apartment. Well, put that fucking math together. We don't have degrees in science math. The problem is... Oh, well, we'll get to the problem. But, so a neighbor tells police that a man in a hoodie and a baseball cap, he sees him jiggling her doorknob and peering into her windows just days before. Also, on a different day, he saw the same man follow her into her apartment... Oh, God! ...when she was bringing in her groceries. Um... He said that, like, as soon as he entered, though, he backed right out, which I imagine was Michael trying to be like, oh, do you need help with those? And, like, walking right in under some weird ruse, and she was like, get the fuck away from me. Yeah. Or he was just trying to, like, inspire confidence like he did before. Right. Exactly. So, but she shut the door right in his fucking face. Detectives interview all of their neighbors. They check the arrest records of every occupant, and no one stands out. The apartment that Michael was living in was under his girlfriend's name. <gasps> he is on no... That is his thing. It's like he's never on any utilities. He's never on a lease. There's never any way to track him down. That's why they have such a fucking hard time. You look like you're going to say something. I'm just, just disappointed. I'm upset, yeah. I'm, I was very upset reading yeah. <laughs> all of this. All right. So by 2008, he's fucking married. In 08? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, he has moved to Santa Monica. On April of 2008, Michelle Murphy, Michael's neighbor, was awakened by someone straddling her and stabbing her. No. By some fucking miracle, she manages to fight him off, and in the struggle, this fucker stabs himself. Thank God! So what do you think he left behind? Probably his whole dick, if I could dream. (laughs) Big dreams. But, like, Michelle's a whole fucking hero. She is a goddamn prize. She fights him (laughs) off... He freaks out. He leaves. He leaves a trail of blood. Thank God. DNA is ran, and because it's no longer 2003, it's a month later, and it comes back as a match to Michael. (gasps) Right? Yes. There's finally about to be an ending to this story. He's arrested on June 6, 2008, and he's charged with the attempted murder of Michelle Murphy. He's later charged with with the murders of Ellerin and Bruno. On July 7, 2011... 18 years after the death of Trisha Picaccio, Michael was finally charged with her murder oh, as well. Oh, God. Michael allegedly told authorities that just because 10 women were killed and his DNA was present doesn't mean he murdered any of them. Oh. So there might be more victims. We're really just not sure. Right. Um, he's still awaiting a full trial. There's been a ton of motion hearings, and they just keep getting pushed back and back. 
but it is expected to finally start in spring of 2019. Whoa! Guess where we are. The end. Uh, I wish you guys could have seen Amanda just literally mic drop all of her notes. All of my notes are gone. (laughs) That whole fucking thing blew my mind. Yeah, that's insane. I felt really disappointed by authorities and a lot of it. But I will give them a little bit of a benefit of it being the early aughts. Yeah, I think that's fair. Also, I mean, think... But, like, can you just imagine, like, what would have happened if they just arrested him and put him through the fucking trial in 2003? Well, nothing else would have happened. But, I mean, they didn't have the... Even if they could process DNA like they could now, it would take forever. I mean, it's what happened. But his DNA was processed and turned up as a match for... The finger, like, what was under Trisha Picaccia's nail. I mean, it was a, I know. Yeah. It's a whole big thing. But we've got Detective Smalls. That fucking bless his little soul. Yes. Such a great guy. I heard he had a nice bristly mustache. Hello. Oh, hi. Yeah. But, okay, so now in hindsight, can you imagine writing this no! book? No, And leaving out all of that? Also, no. That's what I was going to This say. is a much better fucking story. Oh, yeah. Fuck this that. is more interesting. I don't care about your self-discovery that you can be both hot and smart. Everyone can be. Cool like, and I didn't mean to, like, gloss over Ashley. I only did so because I knew that was what you were going to be covering. Yeah, no. And I had an inkling of a feeling that everything else would be left out. Yeah, it was. It was That book was such bullshit. I can't. It's I mean, a lot. Yeah, and it was it's something she's making. It's like a it's like a big seller. I found it like floating around pretty really? highly. Yeah, on like true crime novels. You know what I think we're learning from this podcast? <laughs> we gotta get better pickers. There's a lot of problems with like a ton of true crime novels. I think that's what we're learning too. I was thinking about that um, yesterday when we were texting that you said that I had hated everything. And I think a lot of it is because people... But it's true. It's I not mean, you. No, it's not me. I think that people do, like, a very bad disservice to victims, honestly. Yeah, I think that of, that's true. Because you want to sensationalize stuff and you want to sell books, which on one hand is fair, but on the other hand, you have to keep in mind that there's another person on the other end of it. Yeah, there was a victim here. Yeah. And in this case, there were multiple victims here. Yeah, who just got... And the story's not the fuck about you, Carolyn. No, it's not Carolyn Murnick. I'm coming for you. Like, that's not, you cannot use the death of someone to brag about yourself. No, it's just absurd. Like, if you, I mean, if you, I don't know. I mean, I knew kids who died when I was 12 whom I was friends with. I'm not going to fucking write a book about them. Are you sure we could do the podcast? I know three things about them. <laughs> it would be about the same book that Carolyn wrote. It's true. I'll just paste a picture of myself. All right, so is it safe to assume that we do not? Under any circumstance, recommend reading this book. No, and most of the internet doesn't as well. Although that's not true. I think, like, on Goodreads it had four stars. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't... I think this one is my, like, definitely don't read recommendation. Because it's just a fucking bummer. And as soon as you hit, like, the third chapter of it, you're like, oh, I, I see that this is just, like, you trying to explore your sexuality and your idea of self through your friend's death. And that's a bummer. I mean, write that book, don't put it out as true crime. Yeah, or just, like... Make sure that it's known that it's about you. Like, don't use her name to sell a concept. Well, yeah, and then it also... um, The thing that I told you I'd read about on Medium about the woman who was very close friends with Ashley was, like, you're just using, excuse me, Ashton Kutcher's celebrity again to draw more attention to your book, which is exactly what she was doing. Right, which I do think, like, I... When you said that you wanted to do this book, all I knew was, oh, this was... Like, way long time ago, Ashton's girlfriend that was killed. That's literally all I knew. Yeah. And you were like, no, it's a serial killer. And I was like, holy shit, okay. I didn't even know that they knew who did it. I, I mean, I didn't get anything about 
him at all. Like, just a light, light touch. Which is, like, this is such an insane story, and I feel like lesser stories are more widely known, but because there's this one point that the media can sensationalize, that's what they've done, and they've taken away from what this actually is. Yeah, and it also, I mean, if we just focus even on any of the women whom he murdered, um, I mean, if you focus on Ashley Ellerin, which is what that book was supposed to be about, She's so much more than the sum of the idea that she wears leggings for pants and works as an exotic dancer and dated Ashton Kutcher. She's a person. Um, and yeah, I think that's exactly what we're talking about, that that's the thing that the true crime genre ignores a lot. Well, this got heavy. Sure did. Don't worry, I have a light bit. Oh, you got a, you got a thing for us? Yeah, my boyfriend um, bought me this thing today. And oh, he fuck am I... <laughs> and I promised him that I would use it. Where's the wine bottle? If you drop this wine, nope, that's not going to work. <laughs> what you're not seeing is Victoria's trying to grab my nipples with a goddamn... What is this called? I don't know. It's for old women. I call it the Reacher. It is a Reacher. I'll put a picture of it on the fucking podcast for you. Get it away from me, you big creep. That's the turnaround that you've done? Yes. <laughs> That's what we've gone. We've gone from here is the, like, main problem with the true crime genre to let me grab you with my pokey sticks. <laughs> this was a comedy podcast. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Let's lighten this mood. <laughs> is there anything else we need to talk about today? Um, let's give a sneak peek to next step what we're going to talk about for our giveaway. Well, we'd have to have that planned pretty well, and we don't. I do. Oh, God, tell me. You do know. We're, uh, next episode, our seventh, there we go. Lucky number seven. Um, we are going to be giving away a fresh pair, as Amanda pointed out last week, uh, of the titty wine glasses we drink from. Yes. And then either if you're in somewhere, we can legally mail wine to a bottle of wine that we've drank. Well, we can legally mail wine anywhere because we're not... They're not buying it. True. Okay, so... We can mail it wherever. Yeah, any of the wines that we've drank that you want in on, uh, scope them out on Instagram, so we'll send you all those, uh, but to win them, it's not just for everyone. What do you gotta do first? First, you have to go onto iTunes, and you have to rate and review us. Review is the key one, because we can't see your name if you just rate us. True. But if you write a review, then we can see who you are, at least enough that we can, um... Pin put you down. And if you've past reviewed already, we're also putting your name in that hat. Your name's right in that hat. Thank you for getting in there quick and dirty. There's going to be more pieces to it that involve Instagram. Definitely follow us on there. It is Murder She Read Pod. We have been on kind of a hiatus with posting just because we usually record a little bit earlier in the week, but... I was on spring break. Someone <laughs> was on spring break in Florida while someone else was just here working. I'll give you a clue. It's the fucking reach around grabber. <laughs> uh, she was on a spring break. Uh, that's all I got. I don't really have anything else to add. Yeah, I think um, we ended on a little bit of a an idea of how everyone perhaps should move forward and how we should think about victims more concretely in the future when we yeah. talk about them. So yeah, I think that's a benefit. I think this is the best job that we've done of melding a case with a book. Yeah. So Hello, yeah. do we understand what our own podcast is? Bless kind you, of. episode six. Um, so, Amanda, can I close the book forever and, like, maybe throw it in an ocean and hope a shark eats it? You on? know, I think I just burn it instead. All right, let's <laughs> enact some bad practices. And burn may I this book. Torch the book on the hot one. Torch it. Thank you. Bye. Bye.